0: He's the consummate political survivor. And he's not going down without a fight.
1: We are witnessing the greatest election fraud in the history of the country, in my opinion, in the history of any democracy.
0: Benjamin Netanyahu has spent more than a decade as Israeli prime minister. But after four elections in two years, the end of his term may have arrived.
2: Eight parties ranging from the left to the far right with little in common except the desire to oust caretaker Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. Netanyahu's
0: political base is still strong. Known as the comeback king here, he could still break the coalition apart. That coalition that's set to topple him will face a vote of confidence on Sunday. They're united in their desire to end Netanyahu's term. But that's their only mutual goal. The clock is running towards the end of Netanyahu's time in office. But how likely is a new political era for Israel? I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. Ousting Benjamin Netanyahu would take a political earthquake. And the alliance of parties who've banded against him is unprecedented. And Israel's internal tensions are rising.
1: Several MKs and their families claiming to be protested against followed and harassed on a near-constant basis. Top right-wing religious and nationalist leaders urging followers to, quote, do everything to thwart the new government.
2: The head of Israel's Shinbet security service issued a rare warning today, saying, stop the violent discourse now or someone will get hurt.
0: I talked to journalist Hagai Matar to take the political temperature.
2: I'm the executive director of Class 972 magazine, an independent media outlet in Israel run by Israelis and Palestinians.
0: So there has been a lot going on. I'm sure you've been very busy in these last few weeks. What's the mood right now among Israelis that you know?
2: I think the one thing that might have the country feel is some sort of relief with Netanyahu being removed from power, the other half of the country is very annoyed and angry at Netanyahu being removed from power. Mm. Everything else is just a huge question mark. People constantly ask me if this is actually happening. I don't think the people who are forming this coalition can still vouch that it's actually happening. They announced the formation of this new government, but everything feels very shaky. It could crumble at any moment even if it does actually get sworn in on Sunday as it's supposed to, we don't really know how long it'll survive. It can last days, weeks, months, or actually go the full term of four years. And then also, even if it does survive, we don't know what kind of government it'll be. It's made up of such different parties with opposite agendas, people that formerly would not have gotten along with each other at all, that we really don't know what sort of policy they will push for.
0: For this political drama, we need a cast of characters. Who are some of the names to know in this alliance that banded against Netanyahu?
2: The first prime minister of the two, there'll be a rotation of two prime ministers, and the first is Naftali Bennett. And he represents the hardest right in this new coalition, He openly supports annexation of Palestinian territories and presents a very hawkish agenda in all things treatment of Palestinians generally.
0: Bennett is the former head of the Yesha Council. It represents residents of the settlements in the occupied West Bank, which are illegal under international law. He would also be the first prime minister to have lived in one. Although his party received just seven seats in parliament, He was a kingmaker in the coalition. Here he is in an interview with Al Jazeera on May 12th, sharing his thoughts on whether a Palestinian state would change the status quo. He refers to the West Bank as Judea and Samaria.
3: It would change things. It would uh, create a terror state that does not exist yet in Judea and Samaria and would effectively uh, deem Israel, uh, you know, unable to defend ourselves. You know, the whole... The uh, width of Israel is, is just about seven or eight miles. Uh, we see what, we, what they turned Gaza into. No Israeli is going to give up Judea and Samaria and allow them to create a terror state that's just a few minutes away from my home. For many years, he was
2: considered to the right of Netanyahu, and he's now being championed by the rest of this coalition. All of them are to his left, relatively speaking, of course.
0: As part of the coalition agreement, there will be a rotation of prime ministers. And the second one will be Yair Lapid. He's considered a centrist in Israeli politics and the person who masterminded this coalition. His party is the biggest in the coalition by far.
2: I think we should only look at him as a centrist in the very skewed understanding of politics that has developed in Israel where the goalpost has constantly moved to the right over the past decade or or more. But now he kind of represents a moderate center with somewhat liberal values, not on Palestinians, but on other internal Israeli issues. And he kind of orchestrated this whole thing. And then last for this kind of first round is Mansour Abbas, who's head of the Islamist party called Ra'am. And he represents sort of a new position in Palestinian citizens' politics. Basically, he's willing to sit together in a coalition with settlers, with right-wingers, not saying anything about the occupation, the siege on Gaza, anything like that, just in exchange for certain benefits for Palestinian citizens of Israel, mostly monetary
3: I just signed an agreement with Yael Lapid so he can form a government. We've agreed on many issues that will serve the interest of Arab society and provide solutions to the urgent problems
2: Arab society faces in various fields. So this is a whole new brand that's growing in Palestinian politics. And it's very interesting to see both his acceptance of the right and people on the right accepting this Islamist party. So this is all very interesting and very confusing. Abbas's party
0: will be the first party of Palestinian citizens of Israel to ever join a governing coalition. And Haggai says even that is partly thanks to Netanyahu,
2: who actually reached out to Abbas first. Netanyahu himself, the one person who's been inciting against Palestinian citizens more than anyone else perhaps, It was he that first suggested that Mansour Abbas join his coalition just a few months ago, and by so doing was kind of legitimizing this notion that until recently was unacceptable in Jewish-Israeli politics, which is recognizing Palestinian citizens as equal citizens that can be part of the coalition. So once Netanyahu said that it was legitimate, everyone else was like, okay, so it's also legitimate to do so to replace you and not only to serve you.
0: So what do you think drove this pretty unlikely band of parties together? Because among the eight parties, we've got a spate of former allies of Benjamin Netanyahu, people who have worked for him, who've now turned against him. So there's the explicit motivation, which is ending the Netanyahu era. But what other calculations are there that perhaps we're not seeing outright
2: Actually, I think that is the main calculus for all of them. It's what makes this unlikely coalition at all possible. For the right, I think there's a feeling that Netanyahu, who was for a long time the champion of the right, who brought the right a lot of wins over the past 12 years in power, can no longer offer that. He can no longer offer the legitimacy the right wants, and he can no longer be this glue that sticks all the different parts of the right together. But then you also have people on the center and the center-left who hold certain liberal values and see Netanyahu with the three indictments that he's facing on political corruption. And they see Netanyahu going after journalists and going after the left and going after the independence of the judicial system. And they're concerned for what they see as the fate of Israeli democracy. And that's why they want to get rid of Netanyahu.
0: So what is the process now for forming a new government?
2: Basically, the different parties to the coalition, to the government, have all agreed that they want this to happen. They told the the president that they will form this government. And on Sunday, we will see Knesset, our parliament, basically take a vote and they need a simple majority to make the government fact. So
0: there are some out there, analysts, political watchers, pontificating that this could be the end of Netanyahu. How close could this vote actually be? Could Netanyahu still survive?
2: Well, if the government is formed, it'll definitely be a blow. Ending 12 consecutive years in government as the longest-serving prime minister in Israeli history is definitely something that we should be paying attention to and should reflect on. However, I think it's too early to completely eulogize him. First, he will stay on as a dominant player as head of the opposition. And also because this coalition is founded on such unstable elements and could fall apart at any given moment, if it does, Netanyahu will come out as the winner saying, I've always said any alternative coalition is not sustainable and I'm the only one who can really navigate Israel to safety. And he might come back as prime minister in yet another round of elections, which we might see in a few months' time or a year's time. So it's too early to say the one thing that would probably put a final stop in the story of Benjamin Netanyahu as a leading Israeli politician would be if he's convicted and that conviction is ratified by the Supreme Court of all these alleged crimes of political corruption, in which case he won't be able to come back to being the prime minister. I think there's been a lot of
0: speculation, at least that I'm reading, that Netanyahu is not going to go down without a fight. What has the political climate been like this week?
2: We're definitely seeing Netanyahu fighting, I would say, on more than one level. There's the very transparent level with Netanyahu really going after this coalition, trying to bribe the different parties in the coalition to desert and join him, while also at the same time going after people in this coalition and publicly shaming them as traitors or terrorist sympathizers, and so on.
1: I call on them at this moment, when it is late but not too late, to stand up and vote according to their conscience, Against this government that is a danger to the state of Israel, a danger we have not seen for many years. And in any case, I would like to promise that we, my friends and I in Likud, will vehemently oppose the establishment of this dangerous government of fraud and surrender. And if, God forbid, it is established, we will bring it down very quickly.
3: But
2: there's also another level, which I think we've seen it play just a few weeks ago, when Israel chose to escalate tensions drastically in Jerusalem, in Sheikh Jarrah, in and around the al Aqsa Mosque, and then in the assault on Gaza. Now it's been very smart throughout his career in trying to take over as much Palestinian territory as possible, to promote the settlement project as much as possible, with creating as little waves and international attention as possible. But now we've seen a very different policy And I think it's not unreasonable to assume that Netanyahu understands that if there is a serious escalation around Gaza, around Jerusalem, that might be a kind of a death blow to this new coalition. When the the war in Gaza was going on, Naftali Bennett said he was stopping all negotiations for the formation of a new government, and he was going back to negotiating with Netanyahu.
0: Here's Bennett again from his Al Jazeera interview in May.
3: We're a democracy. I'm darn proud of that, that we're a democracy. And yes, part of democracy is the ability to criticize one another. But we in Israel have a sort of unspoken rule. When we're at war with an enemy who wants to annihilate us, we stand together.
2: The war ended and now Naftali Bennett switched sides again. What happens if there's another war that breaks out between now and Sunday with Netanyahu kind of operating it behind the scenes? What would Naftali Bennett do then or the week after the government is sworn in? So this is a completely different level of Netanyahu's operations and something to pay attention to.
0: Pushing Netanyahu out of the government doesn't mean pushing him out of politics. Haggai says in previous stints as leader of the opposition, he's made things very challenging for the government. And that's likely to continue if he faces off against Naftali Bennett.
2: I think it'll be even more true than ever when the person he's facing considers himself to be actually on the right of Netanyahu. So Netanyahu will be challenging him on the right, why are you going with these leftists? And both for Bennett and some of his allies that are on the right, it'll be very hard to sustain this coalition in between Netanyahu and his attacks from the right and the partners that they have from the center and the left.
0: So these 12 years are not Netanyahu's first stint as prime minister. And the last time that he moved out of the prime minister's residence was not even in this century. It was in the 90s. How would you say he shaped Israeli politics over this time?
2: I think the main thing to say about the Netanyahu era is Netanyahu was successful in essentially ending the discussion inside of Israeli society about the Palestinian question. Palestinians were able to push Israel into negotiations that lasted on and off from the early 90s to basically 2010 and and a little after that. Throughout that time, the whole world and Israelis too kind of assumed that this thing is going towards some sort of a two-state solution. You can say a lot about, is that the solution we would want or not? But there was kind of this assumption that that's where things are going. It was such a a strong idea that even Netanyahu in 2009 said that he's committed to the two-state solution.
0: This is from a speech in
1: 2009. If we receive this guarantee for demilitarization and the security arrangements required by Israel, and if the Palestinians recognize Israel as the nation of the Jewish people, we will be prepared for a true peace agreement and to reach a solution of a demilitarized Palestinian state alongside the Jewish state.
2: Fast forward to where we are now, Nobody really thinks that's a viable solution anymore. You can see that out of 120 seats in Knesset, you have maybe 15 to 20 who actually oppose the occupation and everyone else is on the right, thinks that the occupation is fine and can be sustained as it is. And that's the biggest victory for Netanyahu and for the right in the past 12 years of his governance.
0: Haggai also says that it's worth a close look at the ministers who would form a new government.
2: I think we need to be very careful before we celebrate the end of the Netanyahu era. These people have served under Netanyahu and were close allies of Netanyahu in different periods of time. So this is not really a changing of the system so much as a changing of the guard within the right. I can't see this vision of peace that people have that Arabs can live there, but Jews cannot live there. Arabs, of course, can live in Tel Aviv and in Jaffa and in Haifa, but Jews cannot live in the West Bank. —
0: That was Netanyahu in 1991, when he was first emerging as a force in Israeli politics, talking about his view of Israeli settlements. Here he is again in 1997 as prime minister. —
2: We're going to keep on
1: building in Jerusalem. Jerusalem will remain a united city under Israel. We'll never allow it to be redivided again. We'll never build a Berlin Wall inside Jerusalem. Jerusalem is ours. It will stay ours. It is the, the city of the Jewish people.
0: Palestinians in Jerusalem have seen the extent of how much Netanyahu has achieved firsthand. Many of them have been fighting forced expulsions for years, and Palestinians living there have watched homes disappear. I'm in pain
3: for my home before Jerusalem, too. It's slipping away. It's being lost. It's a blow for all of Jerusalem, not just a house or me. It's a blow for all of Jerusalem because we're like chess pieces. They knock down one by one. Checkmate. Checkmate, and no one is paying attention. Checkmate.
0: That's only continuing to play out this week. While Israeli's political drama unfolds, Palestinians are watching for the loss of more homes in occupied East Jerusalem. The Israeli Supreme Court has set July 20th as the date for a hearing in the Sheikh Jarrah case. And in another neighborhood, Silwan, the municipality has issued a new order to families to demolish their own homes. How do you personally feel about this potential end of an era? Your outlet, Plus972 Magazine, is one of a small number featuring both Israelis and Palestinians. You yourself have been outspoken against the occupation for most of your life. So how are you feeling these days?
2: Um, I, I think I'm coming into this with, with mixed feelings. I'm mostly troubled by this new coalition, by the fact that most of the Israeli Knesset and most of the Israeli public is very much on the right, especially when uh, it concerns the issue of Palestinians and the way that Jewish supremacy oppresses Palestinians throughout this land. And the fact that it's become such a mainstay of Israeli politics, like I said, a victory for Netanyahu throughout his rule, is something we all need to be very concerned by. The fact that many people on the kind of moderate left or Zionist left embrace this new coalition just because it ousts Netanyahu is also troubling because, to me, it means that they're giving up on so many of the demands that the left should be making just to see Netanyahu go. At the same time, it is something new. It is getting rid of the person who was very much responsible for making the occupation so seemingly sustainable and so acceptable to Israelis over the past decade. What's
0: also new, Haggai says, is any political cooperation with Palestinians
2: at all. Not to the point that people would give up supremacy or even discuss real equality and what that looks like. But I think the more the idea of partnership is taking hold, the less possible it'll be to avoid serious discussions about equality and justice.
0: And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Alexandra Locke with Nagin Oliay, Ney Alvarez, Priyanka Tilvey, Amy Walters, Dina Kispe, and me, Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan is our sound designer, Aya El Milek is our engagement producer, Tom Fenton is our editor, and Stacy Samuel is the Takes executive producer. A special thanks to Adam al Rashidi and Ella Al Hosan. We'll be back.